Welcome to the On The Button Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Hamish Wood. He is Head of Customer Experience at GoCardless. We managed to get a lot in our 30-minute session today, uh, including the logistics of filming during the pandemic and what might change over the next 12 months. The old question around B2B and why B2B content needs to be just as entertaining as the B2C content that we're all used to watching, why emotional messages resonate better with audiences, and he gives you some top tips around video and what to do if you're looking to scale up. Hamish, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's amazing to have you on with us. Um, If you don't mind, it would be great if we just start off uh, with a little introduction. Tell me who you are and and where you work. Yeah, sure. So um, thank you for having me, first of all. It's um, great to be asked. Uh, My name is Hamish, uh, Hamish Wood. Um, I am the head of customer experience here at GoCardless. GoCardless is a London-based financial services tech company or technology company. Uh, We were started about 10 years ago, and we're really focused around taking the pain out of getting paid for businesses. Uh, We operate through what what are called the direct debit banking rails, so like your gym subscriptions or the way you pay for um, your power and and internet. Um, We help facilitate those transactions uh, for a a merchant, for our customers, from their customers. So we're a payments processor um, and we are now a global organization. We have been for a little while, of course. Um, we've got offices in um, obviously London, Paris, Munich, uh, New York, San Francisco, uh, and also in Melbourne, uh, which is, is very, very cool. Quite handy when I, if I ever want to go, when I'm back in New Zealand and we can start traveling again, I can pop across to Melbourne and, um, and work from the office potentially and check out the team there. There you go. It only took 30 seconds for you to tell us all that you're a Kiwi. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can hear it before you can uh, see it, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's important, isn't it? Um, that's why you need to get it in quick. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and proud. Kiwi and proud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hamish, um, you're head of customer experience at GoCardless. And I know customer advocacy plays a huge role in the work that you're doing there. Tell me a little bit about why customer advocacy is so important at GoCardless. We are, as as a tech company, as a new um, kind of uh, company on the block, really, we're a bit more established in the UK, but um, as we start to move into more markets, like in the last couple of years, we've entered the US market, for example, no one knows who we are. um, And we need to establish ourselves and prove credibility to help potential customers, first of all, know who we are and what we do. And then second of all, trust us to be able to do what we say we can do. So being able to leverage the customers that we do have and their positive experiences with us and the impact that we've been able to have working with them, tell their stories to help us demonstrate that we can do what we say we can do um, is really powerful for our sales and marketing and um, and our customer teams to be able to, to prove value. Um, and to validate that we can do what we say we can do, which is take the pain out of getting paid and help them collect more payments uh, in a smart way. So Hamish, obviously you are an expert in, in finance and technology. Can you tell me why you think customer advocacy works particularly well in this sector? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I, think, uh, I think, first of all, the, the one thing about the financial service sector is it's even in a business-to-business context, it, 
it's actually very emotional. It's a very emotional sector because we're talking about people's money and their livelihood. If you're an owner of a business, like the success of your business is determined by your ability to collect and manage money, um, uh, no matter how much effort or little effort that that takes. Um, selling the product and um, attracting customers is one part, but if you know the 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 safe management of your money is actually really important. So financial service companies play a really important role in that. Um, and so I think particularly as a payments provider, you know, we're going up against very, very traditional um, and long-standing beliefs around what payments providers are, which are credit card and checks. In the US, checks are still one of the biggest ways to pay, particularly in business. People love paying with checks. Um, and there's a real trust around that, right? People can physically hold their credit card. They can physically hold a check and say, here it is in cash. Um, whereas we don't operate with any of those. We work through technology, through bank systems that you can't physically see and touch and feel. Um, and so, you know, people want to know that they can trust that and trust us. And so um, I think the advocacy and customer stories are important to uh, bring that to life and to, again, kind of help people see others like them using a product or service and relating to that use of that product and service um, and, and hearing like-minded people, um, you know, articulating the challenges that they're facing um, and how a, a product or service may or may not be able to help them with that. So I think it is really powerful because, um, you know, even as I said, business to business, you're still people to people, um, and people have emotions that that are particularly around money and finances. How refreshing to hear because we um, we we work extensively in B two B, and sometimes we do have people push back. You know, yeah. why, why would we want to do something that exciting? This is B two B. There's almost this assumption. Yeah, there's almost this assumption, isn't there, that um, that because it's business to business, you remove all emotion. Um, and, and, and you treat people differently. And it's really interesting. So like my background prior to working at GoCardless was predominantly consumer, um, business to consumer. So it was really interesting coming into an environment of B2B where um, I don't think we necessarily had that traditional B2B perspective. We didn't start from a traditional from traditional roots. So I think we already started from a different place. But there was a shift that I needed to have in my mind in terms of, okay, we're not dealing with consumers now, we're dealing with businesses but there was also an education with the business in terms of we're not just dealing with businesses, we're dealing with people. Um, and so that middle point around actually how do we tell our, articulate business problems in a way that people can resonate with it? And how do we interpret what they're saying as people into what that means for their business in terms of the problems that we can help solve for them internally as well? And I guess essentially that's what customer advocacy is all about. It's not just about making a customer story. It's about making your business completely customer focused. Everything that your business does is about the customer. And maybe that's where the disruptors in in all of these industries uh, are a step ahead. It's just about putting the customer first. Yeah, I think I think it is. And, you know, you mentioned before that you've heard increasingly fintechs referring to themselves as tech companies. And I think that's purposeful, you know, for the most part, I, I used to work in a big corporate bank. So I can I can I can say this um, without hopefully annoying anyone. 
But I think, you know, if you if you ask someone that works for a bank, what do they do? They're, they say they work for a bank, right? They're very unlikely to say they work for a technology company. Whereas we work for a technology company that happens to do a financial service. Um, and I think that mindset is very different. Um, and banks are changing. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think there is, after years of underinvestment in technology, there is a real understanding over the last five to 10 years that they need to invest in technology. And there's some really innovative banks, old banks out there that are starting to partner with the likes of Google or Facebook or other big tech companies to recruit really great talent to help them achieve some really incredible innovation. But I think it's still ultimately a mindset shift. Um, and and yes, yeah, I don't think, I'm, I wasn't surprised when you said that you're hearing more of the tech, the financial fintech companies saying they're tech companies um, uh, as opposed to fintechs or financial services companies. Absolutely. So essentially those older banks, more traditional legacy banks almost uh, have taken so long to change uh, the way in which they work to become more customer focused rather than, you know, know, we're a bank, this is how it works. You need to work this way. Now we're looking at what customers want and changing our business to reflect that. No, I just, just, yeah, I agree with that. And I think just to add on, you know, I, 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 I can speak, Certainly from what my understanding of the Hiroki and the other founders journey was with with GoCardless from what I've heard from him and I'm sure will resonate with other people from this sector as well is, you know, we started with, with what is the problem we're trying to solve and, and what problem are we solving for our customers? And that still is where we start today is, is being really clear on what our purpose is and, and what problem we're trying to solve for our customers. And I think that's... That's helped really. That's helped us make sure that we keep honest to what we're working towards, and it, it, it actually has helped us innovate. And now that we're starting to move into, you know, a new world of um, of of starting to unlock open banking capabilities and what that might mean, it helps us kind of again come back to what is it we're trying to solve and how do we use this new technology to help do that in a way that others can't. Um, so I think it becomes your driving force. It becomes a little bit of your north star. Um, in a way that I think, you know, incumbents, and this isn't specific to bank, but incumbent organizations, they just started a different way. They built a product and they sold it. And that was the way it was. Whereas we've started from building a product that solves a problem um, and, and still use it as our North Star. So you've talked a lot about how uh, emotional messages resonate better with audiences. And certainly we found that they tend to drive much better reactions um, and better results. Uh, what do you think is the best form of media to communicate those emotional messages? Well, let me let me kind of take a step back and, and if, if I may, maybe just share my journey in terms of how I've landed on what the answer, what I think the answer to this question is. So um, I was asked to, I've always been interested in, in, in uh, in marketing and advocacy and all that kind of stuff and customer experience is more my bread and butter so you know understanding what our customers think and feel helping the business to understand that become more customer centric solve those problems helping our frontline teams deliver better experiences and so last year I was talking to my boss um, about the fact that they felt like there was this natural evolution potentially that we needed to start to consider around how do we start to leverage this understanding that that we're gathering in the team 
to actually start to tell the stories in a more meaningful way externally. And so we had a, a gap in the business around that um, for, for, for a number of reasons. And so we went, I went off and started to interview and talk to some of the key stakeholders around the business who would benefit from advocacy um, or case studies, as we called them at the time. You know, if you think about really kind of when I think of case studies, I mean this in the nicest way possible and with no malice, but, you know, you kind of think of that stuffy written kind of, you know, stuff, which is very numbers heavy, which is great. They serve a purpose. But I wanted to make sure that I was really clear on what was the problem we were actually trying to solve here. And from the sales team, um, it was about short, sharp, compelling pieces of um, information that or quotes that, customers would say that would validate that we could do that for someone else. Um, marketing, it was about making sure that we had um, data points that we could point to that prove that we were able to do what we say we can do and solve the problems of our potential prospects um, and that we could articulate that um, in, a, in a compelling way. And the more and more that we kind of went through it, the, this idea of short sound bites and um, kind of telling, you know, using data um, kind of started to contradict each other a little bit in the sense of we want lots of lots of information and detailed information from a data perspective, but we want lots of short consumable pieces. And so we started to play around with this idea of video um, and we've developed a strategy which has different levers that we can pull, but our main focus at the moment is around creating customer stories and this is our repositioning because they are stories. Um, to tell and to demonstrate the value that we bring with data, with compelling stats, with all that detail, um, uh, but in a way that is consumable. And so we we believe video ultimately is is the way to do that. That was a very long answer to a very short question. <laughs> uh, but a great answer. And uh, it, it kind of covers a lot of things that I wanted to talk about. I, I'm, where do I even start? Um, the uh, Obviously, it's a big commitment. Um, but how, how are the initial results? What do the initial results look like? Can you tell me about maybe how customers, your customers are responding to the requests to take part in this campaign? Yeah, and I think the, the, the number one thing that we have at the core of everything we do around this is what is the mutual value that we can um, have with our customers and how can we be really respectful of their time through this? Um, I was actually just talking to someone um, earlier today uh, about this new approach that we're, we're taking at GoCardless. And, you know, I, I said to them, you know, the la- I remember the last time I was asked to do a case study um, for an, a, another organisation and they sent over a list of questions and I was expected to complete and answer those questions through writing. Um, and then we'd probably go back and forth multiple times with our PR teams, all that kind of stuff, and finally we'd get signed off and it would probably take far too long. I'd have to invest far too much energy into it or I just wouldn't bother doing it. And so, you know, that was, and unfortunately probably still is the way that many people do do case studies um, or customer stories. And so we wanted to move away from that. We wanted to make it um, super compelling for the customer. And so every time we interact with a customer or engage a customer about advocacy, we tailor it to that business and what we believe will be most compelling for that business. Um, and we are really respectful of their time and think about the best way to be able to make it super, super easy for them to participate and to be able to sign off and, and, and work with collateral. And, you know, 
we've been able to produce some amazing pieces of work. Um, if anyone hasn't checked out our um, customer stories on our website or on our LinkedIn, we've done an amazing story with um, Epson and Cuckoo. Um, we've just released one with a really big piece with four customers along with our partner, um, Zero. And in most cases, the actual time spent with the customer um, to produce those pieces and all the written content and all the media that comes along with it and all the social that comes with it is probably less than an hour, hour and a half, which is a huge game changer when you think about the amount of time that you invest having to go back and forward, writing answers. Uh, you know, you can take weeks and months. And, and, and uh, I know of an example where it took a year to, to get um, a story published. So, um, you know, I think it, it is about really thinking about, first of all, how do you make the opportunity seen as an opportunity with the customer where there's mutual value and then secondly how do you make it as easy as possible for them to participate um in that well i guess making it easy for your customers to participate in in these campaigns is is really important and the pandemic has certainly uh thrown things up in the air a little bit in the last 18 months certainly a big button we found a lot of the interviews been we've been doing have been virtual uh, and there are a lot of benefits to that um, you know, we can we can film all over the world very quickly, uh, and it's probably less disruptive than sending a film crew in. Um, how how have you found that work at Go Cardless, and what do you think is going to change over the next sort of twelve months? Yeah, I do. You know, I was I was a bit nervous at first about um, filming remotely, um, just in terms of quality, right? Like, I mean, we've we've all sat on Zooms and seen the internet break and then like try to i don't know i tried to do some um editing of a zoom meeting um at the end of last year and the quality just was was a bit rough and i mean i'm not a, no editor so i wasn't the right person to do it but i was a bit nervous about what that would look like and how well that experience would be for customers and there were just lots of factors that we needed to think about in terms of microphone quality camera quality etc but actually, in, in working with Big Button, this is this is you know really kind of laid this to my my fears to rest. Is actually it's worked really really well. Um, it's made it super easy for us to be able to um, schedule time with customers because they don't need to take large chunks of time out of their day. They literally can just drop it into their diary, and then you they sit at their at their desk as they already are probably, and then we just start filming. They're not having to go to a specific room where there's a setup and get mic'd up and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so what could should take forty five minutes to an hour can sometimes take an hour and a half, two hours, depending on 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 kind of the disruption to their overall day. So I think it has made it much easier. It's obviously um, meant that we've been able to engage with customers. Um, globally in a way that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. The Zero story, for example, um, where we had, um, we interviewed five, six different people for, for that overall piece of work. Um, I think three of them were based outside of the UK um, at the time um, and, and three, three or two, two or three of them outside of the UK. And we're just working on one at the moment um, where they're based in Australia. Um, you know, so like you're able just to have so much more flexibility in terms of who you can interview, the stories you can tell. Um, and, you know, if we were going to be telling those Australian stories um, or even the American stories, um, you know, we'd have to add at least at least probably another 10 to 15,000 pounds onto each one just for travel and cost and, and all that kind of stuff or hiring locally or, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, so 
I think moving forward, I think it's going to be super interesting to see how that comes to life. And I am excited to see how this hybrid will come come through. But I think there is just this new acceptance around seeing people in their home offices, in their home spaces on camera. And I don't personally think that's going to change anytime soon um, because I think we'll continue to just have this new appreciation for for um, people being in different environments and working from home and, and not being in this beautiful corporate high production space. Yeah, absolutely. The logistics of arranging a, uh, a shoot are, are, can be tricky. You know, you've got to get a film crew into a location and, and, and just that process slows things down a little bit sometimes. There are huge advantages to sending a film crew, obviously, and the relationships you build on location uh, can be incredibly strong. Um, but at the same time, you know, being able to capture four different interviews in four different parts of the world in the same afternoon and get it into an edit suite that evening uh, is incredibly powerful opportunity. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? It certainly is. I guess the biggest challenge is remembering whether to say good morning, good afternoon or good evening during those interviews. <laughs> You've spoken brilliantly there, Hamish, around the work that you're doing at GoCarless in customer advocacy um, and the commitment that you've made to video. And I'll be interested to hear, and I'm sure audience would, um, you know, what are your top tips when it comes to uh, producing video content? What what should people really start to look for when they're setting out on this journey or, or indeed looking to scale up? The first thing that I would recommend is, is starting with a really clear strategy. And by strategy, it doesn't need to be a step-by-step guide of how you get to it. It's just what is the vision? What is the way and like what is the intent of what you're trying to try to work towards um you know we developed a strategy that helped us to be able to validate which of our customers we wanted to prioritize and therefore what level of investment we wanted to put against each of those and then that helped us determine the type of approach that we would take with the different customers so we still do just written case studies or or customer stories um, they play an important role in the overall strategy, um, but we're able to justify the higher investment for video because we're able to articulate why a, a particular customer or group of customers are considered to be higher value for the business. And we worked with the business to actually develop and identify who those customers are. So then when we were asking for investment, it, there was already a level of buy-in in terms of what we were trying to work towards and how we were going to get there. The um, other thing that we were very lucky with was, I think there was, uh, to a certain degree, I, I think an element of um, caution, you know, like um, video does cost more than than producing just a, a written story. Um, and so there was a level of caution in terms of, um, you know, whether or not it would be worth it, what the quality would look like. I was slightly nervous about what it would look like from a, a record remotely perspective. But I think, you know, we were lucky enough to get get the support of my boss, um, Pat, the chief customer officer, to, to have a bit of a budget that we could do some tests with, basically. And we could kind of do a couple of customer stories, prove out that do some quick learning, understand, check that that was what the business was looking for. Um, and that proved really, really valuable because we were able to actually just actually show people what we were wanting to, what we were trying to achieve rather than just tell them what we were trying to achieve. And that from that, we were able to basically get the sign off in the in the budget for everything else that we, we, we're now working towards. And, and 
you know, we've just gone through our budget round and we made a request and we had absolutely no pushback from it at all. That comes from making sure that we've done that groundwork around the strategy, incorporating other people's feedback and what they're wanting to see and aligning it to the overall business strategy and how you're going to help the business achieve its outcomes, um, which for us is predominantly based around growth. We're in the finance sector and in finance, you really can't escape the numbers yeah. or maybe you can. Um, I'd like to talk to you about measurement, Hamish, and I know measurement is essential to you and it's something that you challenge us on and quite rightly. Mm. Why do you think that measurement is so important um, and what should people consider when they're looking at the metrics, the analytics behind the video content they're making? Yeah, I mean, we're a very, very data-driven company. Um, you know, we at, at times, you know, potentially we probably overanalyze um, data um, and, and, and kind of end up talking ourselves out of things before we've done it, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad. Um, in this case, we, we managed to avoid doing that. And we were lucky that we were able to kind of push forward without having the need for, for data to just prove that what we were producing was going to do that. And it was really interesting um, because I think there is actually a, an element of acceptance in the business that we may not be able to always measure the impact of customer advocacy because it it isn't quite the same way as you've either done something or you haven't because it does it's so influential it's a lot of influence. But what I'm really excited about is obviously we've been working together um, with the big button team and, and internally internal stakeholders around actually what do we want the measurement to look like? What is success look like? And um, I think we're getting to a really exciting space where um, you know we're ready to start to engage the exec team to get their perspective on it and get their agreement around it um, and I think that you know again it's that iterative collaborative kind of bringing people into the conversation to make sure that you understand all the key stakeholders and then helping to get buy-in um, through that process which is going to be the real game changer and I, I am a big fan of measurement um, because I think it is important that we can prove the value that advocacy is bringing to the organization outside of just anecdotal you know, feedback, um, which we've got and is great and we, and we love hearing, but it'd be nice to be able to, to have some numbers to support that as well. So then if we were ever, which I, I can't imagine we will, but if we were ever challenged, we could turn around and, 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 and prove that, that we were hitting the numbers that we, and that the investment was worthwhile. Once you start to look into it, you know, the, the, there's so much data out there and it, deciding what to measure and how is very difficult um, and you need to take a step back, look at that sales funnel, understand where that video is sitting and what the objective of each of those videos is through that sales funnel so that you can then get a better understanding of what you need to measure, create some benchmarks and move from there. Mm-hmm. So what, what about the future? Let's move on to the future, Hamish. What are your hopes and plans for the future in regards to video? Yeah, it's a good question. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I, I like to think I'm someone that loves to challenge the, the status quo and, and really kind of look at what, what's the next thing we can be doing? How can we really kind of innovate and, and be doing the next thing and lead the way um, in terms of, of, of the stuff that we're creating and, and doing? And the short answer is I'm not sure at the moment, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, if I look at some of the trends in terms of social media, which I think is a pretty good gauge of where video is going, um, you know, the likes of TikTok, you know, short 30 to 60 second video content, um, you know, snappy kind of stuff. 
um, that has kind of a bit of a cult following or, or goes a bit viral. Um, you know, I'd be interested to understand how that could, those concepts, that type of activity could be um, incorporated or could could become part of the strategy um, uh, in, in an appropriate way. You know, I'm not suggesting, oh, maybe we should get our customers to do some TikTok dances with us um, or something, you know, maybe that's a fun way to, to do it. But I think, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, and I'm not necessarily also suggesting that you just need to make everything shorter because there is value in um, longer, compel- uh, longer kind of storytelling and, and compelling stories. So I think it's I think it's about a multi-layered approach. How we can bring video into different mediums, um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, rather than just kind of sitting here and doing like an interview, for example you know, how do we do that more in like a panel discussion or how do we do that through more compelling uh, cinematic storytelling or how do we kind of do that uh, at more of an executive level so there's kind of much more of a kind of compelling kind of exec to exec type um, interaction. So, yeah, I think uh, the short answer is I'm not sure, but there's lots of things floating around in there that I'm I'm, I'm keen to explore and, and you know, very open to, to others kind of sharing their thoughts around what that looks like as well. But question back to you, I guess, is what what are, what are yours, your kind of thoughts around what you think the future of video is? Oh, uh, wow. Okay. The question's supposed to go the other way, Hamish. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> caught me out a little bit there. I guess um, thinking about the future now, um, uh, people are starting to concentrate a lot more on platforms, understanding, looking at data behind the platforms and what works better in different places so creating content specifically for those channels so it might be uh, one by one video for example and looking at you know we know that that's more effective mm. in a lot of situations as opposed to 16 by 9 widescreen content getting a better understanding of that understanding i talked to steve garvey on one of our podcasts about um duration understanding you know should we create shorter content or is it or is that just really because we're, we're so keen for people to watch all of it mm-hmm. uh, we're happier for them to watch all of 15 seconds rather than half of two minutes or half of three minutes you know concentrating on those objectives people starting to get a better understanding of measurement and how that should be um influencing all of the content that we make rather than just looking at the trends um, outside of our industry maybe or, or whatever it might be you know it's concentrating on our data and how our audiences are responding to content and using that to shape the films that we're making uh, I could talk about that all day Hamish unfortunately we don't have time <laughs> it has been fantastic though having you on for the podcast today thank you so much for spending the time those 30 minutes to have a chat awesome thank you for having me I really appreciate your time Thank you so much for listening to the On The Button podcast. It's brought to you by Big Button. Big Button is a strategic video agency. You can find out more about our work at bigbutton.tv. I hope you can join us next time.